This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. Multi-factor authentication and pending FFIEC guidance. What steps should banking institutions take now to ensure that they comply with pending FFIEC guidance when it takes effect? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Steve Dispensa, Chief Technology Officer and co-founder of Phone Factor, a provider of out-of-band authentication solutions. Steve, before we jump into our line of questions today about the pending FFIEC guidance, I'd like for you to simply define multi-factor authentication for our audience. Sure, Tracy. Uh, multi-factor authentication means uh, asking the user who's doing the authenticating to prove uh, to prove his identity more than one way. Uh, and so the general way that we, we think about that is as requiring something you know and something you have. It can also require something you are. That's another factor. So, for example, it could be a password and... Uh, you know, a phone call, or it could be a password and a smart card, or it could be a PIN number and a physical credit card or something like that. So that, that, that's, uh, that's multi-factor authentication. Now, the topic of multi-factor authentication does come up quite often, and it seems to be coming up more and more often as we talk about this pending FFIEC guidance and online banking authentication. But does multi-factor authentication touch other channels beyond the online channel? Yeah, it does. Uh, in fact, you know, in my world, we think of uh, multi-factor authentication as applying to virtually every uh, transaction that you do. Uh, oftentimes, there are physical uh, analogies in the real world, but certainly, every time you're interacting with a with a computer, uh, you can you can probably apply a multi-factor authentication solution. So, <clears throat> some practical examples of that would be um, things like point-of-sale payments. Uh, you swipe your card at uh, at the store. You buy a thousand dollar television or something, and and uh, and uh, you could get a, a, a secondary authentication there, proving uh, proving that you are who you uh, claim to be. Uh, payments uh, would be another one. Uh, mobile banking, enterprise. Of course, there's just a million different use cases in the enterprise, such as remote access, remote web mail, and so on. So, multi-factor authentication can, and certainly, in my opinion, should be applied to really any of these cases where you've got something to lose and you really have to prove who you are. Now, in light of the pending FFIEC guidance, which deals specifically with common authentication practices that are used for retail or consumer bank accounts, as well as commercial accounts, how do you view multi-factor authentication? Well, uh, multi-factor authentication, as it relates to FFIEC, applies a number of di- in a number of different places. Uh, so, for example, uh, a lot of well, everybody, of course, uses um, some sort of authentication just to gain access to an online banking website. Uh, the uh, we we think that the existing methods are too weak, and so multi-factor authentication can and should be applied right there uh, at the at the point of login. And there are some specific cases which I can get into in a minute if you're uh, if you're interested in it. But um, you know things such as the difference between out of band versus in band multi-factor authentication are also relevant there. 
But beyond that, uh, multi-factor authentication can be applied in a lot of different banking contexts. And FFIET guidance specifically calls out things like transaction verification if you're getting engaged in a high-risk uh, or high-value transaction, say you're wire transferring a large amount of money or something like that. Um, and it can also and should also be applied to administrative functions, uh, creating and managing user accounts for commercial banking environment, managing user transfer limits, and, and so on. And then maybe on the retail side, one more for completeness sake uh, is multi-factor auth can be applied and probably should be applied to online bill pay scenarios, such as the creation of a new online biller, uh, which is an easy way for, um, for a bad guy to divert money out of your account. Now, this may be a good opportunity for you to perhaps clarify or delve a little bit more deeply into what you call in-band versus out-of-band authentication. I wanted to ask about multi-factor authentication and its connection specifically to online security. Yeah, um, so specifically related to online uh, security, we're thinking about two, two big areas for online banking security. Um, you know, secure logins, as I mentioned, uh, and transaction verification. So then, um, you know, as far as in-band versus out-of-band goes, they, they basically work uh, the same way in that they apply the same way to both, both classes of authentication. Uh, out-of-band authentication happens when the authentication request is made to a different device than the one you're using to do your banking from. So, uh, you know, typically uh, commercial banking will be done uh, from you know desktop computer or laptop or something like that, and then the secondary authentication can be completed um, to a phone or you know there are other devices that work as well for out of band authentication. Uh, you know SMS is a is a good example um, of those. But the the thing that they'll have in common is that the entire authentication transaction happens uh, outside of the computer that you're doing the online banking from. And going back to what you were talking about as it relates to the FFIC guidance and some of the incidents that we've seen of ACH or wire-related fraud that have been reported over the last 18 mm -hmm. months, and of course those have related to poor or simplistic authentication practices, mm -hmm. what perspective can you share with us about current authentication practices and how they'll be impacted by the new FFIC guidance when it actually is published? Yeah, that's a great question. You're absolutely right that almost all of these major fraud cases in the last couple of years can be traced to you know, authentication infrastructures that are just weak by design. The king of weak authentication is the password, and it's, of course, the most prevalent form of authentication, but it's just so easy for a password to be stolen by a phishing attack or by a piece of malware or, or really a, a variety of other ways, social engineering and so on. Um, the, another form of authentication that's often used uh, in the banking environment are, are challenge questions. Uh, so the, you know, we've all seen them. You know, there are typically a couple or maybe four challenge questions that ask you things like when you were born or where you grew up or you know whatever. And those questions have serious problems built into them as well. Uh, first of all, the amount of information uh, available about you online at this point is just just gigantic. When you think about things like Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn profiles and so on. Um, that uh, you know, a large number of the answers to your challenge questions can be figured out pretty directly from just from those resources, as well as public records and so on. But beyond that, just kind of the range of possibilities is very small. So if they're asking you, you know, an example of a bad challenge question might be what what 
what year were you born? Well, everybody was that's alive was born within a hundred years, and you can simplify that considerably from there. So, you know, it's just not challenge questions have such a number of problems that at this point, um, there was actually a recent article. Uh, I think it was from the NSA. Uh, basically advising you to lie, lie to your challenge questions uh, because your answers will be significantly more secure, but then, of course, they're also hard to remember. So uh, so those are a couple of examples of, of, of weak uh, auth infrastructures that have led to some of this problem. Now, I asked you earlier to define the difference between out-of-band and in-band authentication, but I want to ask what role, if any, out-of-band authentication should play in the multi-factor authentication approach. Yeah, let me expand on that a little because I really think it's a critical distinction. First of all, um, you know, in-band authentication, even if it is two-factor authentication, in-band authentication is subject to a number of prevalent attacks. So the common one is the OTP, the one-time passcode, and these can come from a token or from and uh, SMS message or a variety of other places. And the idea is that you take this token code, you type it into your web browser. Uh, well, the problem is that a lot of these attacks, and certainly many of the worst attacks, are mounted by malware, like, for example, Zeus, that has infected your computer and is watching everything you type. So as soon as you type that token code in, um, the malware simply grabs that code and sends it halfway around the world to a criminal who's sitting there waiting for it, who logs in pretending to be you. And uh, there's nothing that an in-band token-based approach like that can do if you're infected by if your computer is infected by malware. Uh, so where the distinction happens then without a band is that the entire transaction takes place outside of this potentially infected computer. So for example, um, you know, Phone Factor does uh, out-of-band SMS verification so that we send you the we send you a one-time passcode. Uh, via SMS, and we actually ask you to reply directly to that SMS from the phone. And so the computer that you're typing on never sees that token, so therefore the malware never has a chance to grab it. So that concept is really important for managing computers that are infected. Now, from a higher level perspective, Steve, what can you share about the pending FFIEC guidance from an overall authentication perspective beyond the mere mix of out-of-band versus multi-factor? Sure. Uh, you know, I think the most interesting concept uh, that, is, that is emerging out of this new guidance is the idea of layered security. It's something that we've been talking about for a long time, and, and it, it really recognizes that just authenticating a user at the point of login is not really sufficient anymore, particularly if you're going to be banking from a computer that's infected with malware. And, you know, many, many computers are infected with malware at this point, so it's going to happen. So you have to design your authentication architectures to understand that. Well, the problem is, right now, uh, in the old world, uh, basically people log in, and then, you know, they have a blank check to do whatever they want inside that logged-in session, which means malware can do anything. So the new guidance is proposing another layer of security, saying that not only do we want to authenticate you during the login process, but we actually want to authenticate the important things that you do when you're logged in to make sure it's really you doing it on purpose and not some piece of malware in your computer that's trying to impact, uh, you know, that's trying to transfer money or create a new user or something like that. So the concept of layered security, I think, is critical, and it's something that uh, that we're really looking forward to seeing in the new guidance. And what should banking institutions be doing now to prepare for this new guidance so that they're adequately prepared when it actually is published? 
Good question. I think uh, a number of different possibilities here. First of all, uh, you know, take a hard look at your existing authentication infrastructures uh, in a, along a couple of lines. First of all, are you are using multi-factor? Second of all, um, you know, are you relying on security questions heavily? Because if you are, I think it's clear at this point that that's that's not going to um, that's not going to cut it going forward. Uh, so what is your strategy for multi-factor authentication going forward? Second of all, do you have out-of-band authentication in play? Uh, and if you don't, uh, you know, it's probably time to develop a strategy that heads in that direction. And finally, um, I think some, you know, a lot of our customers are going through this process right now uh, where uh, they're analyzing their applications themselves and determining where in my online banking application do I want to add an additional layer of authentication. So, for example, do I want to add a transaction confirmation when uh, you know a user is doing a $10,000 wire transfer, or do I want to add a transaction verification for uh, you know adding a new administrative user to the system that has you know all of these privileges? That is a process that each bank really has to undertake for itself because each bank is you know knows its own applications the best. But it, it's, it can be a time-consuming process to, to really understand where authentication should apply, and so it's probably something that banks would be well-advised to kind of kick off uh, as, soon as, as soon as they can. And Steve, before we close, are there any final thoughts or top three recommendations about authentication as well as the pending FFIC guidance that you can share with our audience? Sure. Um, let me give you maybe the top three places that I would uh, that I would do authentication. Uh, I, I think, um, I think for, first of all, uh, you know, strong authentication at login is going to continue to be critical. Uh, you don't want to give users even access to read balances because there, there's enough sensitive information just in the reading of information, uh, you know, the reading of account statements that that that's worth protecting. Secondly, I think uh, protecting uh, actual transactions is critical and in protecting those transactions, it's really important to include transaction details to protect against malware that modifies transactions in flight, like changing the account number or changing the dollar amount or something. Uh, and third, I would say, you know, this is, uh, I've said this a couple times, but it's a little bit of a, of a leading edge kind of a thought. I really do think it's important to start looking into your other uh, transactions, things like bill pay or like creating and managing administrative users. Uh, in principle, any activity that carries with it risk on your system is a candidate for strong authentication. Great. Steve, I want to thank you again for your time today. Thanks a lot, Tracy. It's been a pleasure. Again, we've just heard from Steve Dispenza of Phone Factor. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kidd. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.